Welcome to An Uneducated Guess. Where three nobodies from the PCA sit around and talk. What do you get when you put together a layman, a seminarian, and a ruling elder? You get an uneducated guess. Welcome to the show. I'm Presby Bard. With me, as always, is Gearhardt's boss, Gearhardt's oh, B. Excuse me, I got to get your Twitter handle right. We're back, <laughs> back in the saddle. <laughs> I I just look forward to his his right. welcomes more than anything else in the show. I think. <laughs> and also, the great, the one and only, the famous, sometimes even infamous, Bourbon Ghost. Hey guys, that was better. Last time I couldn't come up with. I like to lead you with yeah. some kind of. See, Would you, you say you're infamous? Uh, In some circles, sure. Maybe, maybe some. Barners probably hate you. I actually have a weird amount of Barner like followers and friends on That's there. That's not good. It's strange. You should really be questioning. I yourself. probably should. <laughs> they're 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 more like we are. What is that? Most of them. That is oh, oh so good. <laughs> this still this still this illustrates so much how I'm like right in the middle it of per- you two. Like, perfectly. I am in the a Barner is a is like an Auburn. It's a bar. It's an Auburn fan. Okay. But it's a more derogatory way to refer to them. So like they would, I would say Gump is the derogatory way yeah. you'd refer to an yeah. Alabama. Yeah, but you guys fan. lean into that. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, Bourbon for sure leans in. I wouldn't. I don't lean into being a Gump. I wouldn't yeah. say I'm a Gump. I'm a big Alabama guy, but I'm not. I honestly, I, mean, I, I say am that. Too. I, mean, I, I say that in Alabama the sense football. that I'm not like. Yeah. I don't deserve to be a Gump. I don't mean that yeah. like. Oh, I'm not a Gump. I don't want to be. I don't deserve to be. What do you mean? I I don't. Uh, it doesn't go into my soul as much. Hmm. And I mean, I'm jealous. I wish that it did. I'm just saying, I respect I respect the way that you're... I feel like a gump is somebody who is able to... Well, you're like a high level. Well, I don't want to get into Would the Would these be like here. the people that have like their... If you went in their man, like their man this cave, is, this is it's probably got the even, special paintings of like... Yeah. This is probably even more inside baseball yeah. than any of our PCA talk is oh, yeah. talking it about tiers. Yeah. Tier tier threes would have like uh, your Daniel Moore prints. Okay, okay. Like I, have, I have some of those. What do you? So does that qualify me? Well, I don't have them hanging though. Yeah, I mean, you have like, one upstairs. You could, like one or two is probably like okay. One of the mini ones though. That's not yeah, like a real. Yeah, but yeah. I do have a full on Daniel yeah. Moore print. One or two is probably okay. Like there's there's. I got it for Christmas. You'll, you'll go into somebody's <laughs> house and they might have a dozen Daniel Moores. And then a couple jerseys on the wall. It's just True. like they have an entire room of nothing but that. If right. you're if you're not from Alabama, you're not getting any of this. I don't think. Yeah, well, because I barely well, get it. I think if they're in the here. SEC, they would probably okay. get it. Okay, that's fine. You'll you'll throw out some name like William Scott Anderson later, and I'm not. <laughs> I have any clue what you're talking about. <laughs> that's fair, and I will. Yeah, but not much. See, that's kind of the key is that I'm right in the middle where I don't know as much about some things as you do, but I also and I, but I know what you're talking about. I get your references. And then with Gearhardis, I get his references too, like his theological references. But I don't know as much as him about it. But I do get the rep. I can kind of talk. I'm a. I, I've said this for a long time. My whole life, I'm a Venn diagram. Hmm. I'm. I can. I can get along and with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I've always been like a jack of all trades, and it fits with this. This mm-hmm. is same same type thing. Yeah. Same type thing. So. Anyway, I'm well. I don't know. There's nothing really to talk about in the intro. Literally, nothing is happening in the world yeah, right now. It's been now. a really boring week. Yeah, very boring. Nothing going on in the world. That's a joke. You need to add in a rim shot and the editing. But there's a lot going on. 
lots of protests or well I got I got corrected last time last week when I called them riots they're protests according to right. Gear Hardest yeah I think that shows you what side of the spectrum he's on uh, <laughs> but in a few different ways can I give you my take on this whole thing yeah all right here's my take on the whole thing we could go into all kinds of details about whatever we talked about it, a cares. lot of it being antifa last week yeah the violence and part. that's turned out to be true yeah I know I I think I don't think anyone disagreed last week yeah I think we were we were uh, prescient on that but. I think I used that word correctly. But anyway, here's my take on the whole thing. My take is this, and I've been trying to tell people this for a long time, and I think this week is a really good, the last couple weeks, and even the last couple months with the pandemic are a really good example of what I mean. I've been trying to tell people for a while that you really need to pay less attention to national politics and pay more attention to building the community that you want to live in. Absolutely. Where you are. Yeah. And I think with the pandemic that we've seen, with the way that it has definitely, it has inordinately affected communities differently, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you go to one place and it's, and it's like very serious. Everybody's wearing masks and stuff. You go to another place and it's not, or you go to one place, you can go to restaurants, another place you can't still, you know? And so it's very localized the way that all of these issues are going to affect and the, the protests, the riots, even police violence, all those sorts of things are very similar in that way that there may be national problems, but most problems end up being localized. Mm-hmm. And people pay w- way too much attention to national politics that they can have no effect on. But they'll go vote once a year, or once every four years, even worse, or once every two years in national elections, and they'll say that that's the way they contribute to the process. Yeah, with the assumption that things are going to change yeah. based upon this. That's, they're doing their part. Right. That's that's them doing their part. And they'll get on to somebody else like me, not saying it's me, but someone who was like me that might not vote. I'm not saying I don't vote because, you know, I would not say that I, I would not want to admit on a podcast that I'm that much of a somebody un, would call you an Baptist. <laughs> I wouldn't want to admit that I'm that unpatriotic, but somebody who doesn't vote, they would say, oh, well, you know, if you don't vote, you don't get to complain. And my response would always be, no, if you do vote, you don't get to complain yeah. because you contributed to the system by voting. And you actually thought this was going to make a difference. You thought by you voting one out of, you know, I don't know, 70 million people, that's going to be the way you do activism is you're going to vote (laughs) in a national election. And so people, whether that's voting, whether that's with what you do, or if it's like what you pay attention to, how how much of the national politics do you pay attention to? If you're paying attention to it for anything other than the fun theater that it can be at times, you're paying too much attention to it. Yeah, I think so. You're giving it too much weight. Now, if you want to watch it because it's fun, that's what I do now, and yeah. especially with Trump. This has just been fantastic. And that's why people will be like, oh, you like Trump? It's like, I'm not saying I like Trump in the sense of that I support his ideas. I don't even know what his ideas are. I support him for the theater. Yeah, <laughs> That's the only reason I pay attention to national yeah. politics anyway is for the theater of it. Otherwise, I want to solely focus on building the community that I want to live in and that yeah. I want my family to live in. That's it. I think this, I think this last week has been a great example of that because honestly I think one of the reasons you see some of the, so many of these issues in big cities is because there is such a disconnect because there are so many people whereas here right. uh, I'll see the same dozen cops every time I'm out you know or, or at least once a week I see them all around town at some point I, I may not know everybody's name I may not may not know everybody every cashier that I interact with but I recognize people around town because we're around each other enough to the point where these issues don't really pop up because we're all familiar with each other. Yep. 
And if you if these issues did pop up, I mean, it's just it's just very simple way to think about it. I mean, do you have a more likely chance? Let's say that there is some sort of pr- police brutality that happens in our community. Do you have a better chance of of affecting change in a ten thousand person community or in a two and a half million person community? Absolutely, it's not even close. Not even close. And if you're willing to like be okay with not having the uh, sweet entertainment district or all the best restaurants, which I'm sure Sodom and Gomorrah had all the best, finest entertainment <laughs> and dining that there is, but it was a crap place to live because it was full of debauchery and evil. And so is every could, U.S. City, city pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. That's my point. And so, you know, they may have all the fine entertainment and dining and the sweet craft breweries that you can go to and hang out and all the best coffee shops, but they also are full of just absolute debauchery Mm-hmm. and disgusting sin. Everything's yeah. a trade-off. Yeah. And so, you know, we live in a smallish town. I, th- I actually kind of think we're in the sweet spot Yeah, uh, where, you know, you still... But I would even live in a smaller town. I wouldn't care, you know, because, honestly, it really is more about building the It's community. about individual liberty, too. You lose... You give up some of your liberty, I think, living in... Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I didn't think you were that big of an individualist, though. I was surprised to hear you use the word oh, yeah. individual. Mm. Cognitive I don't know what just, to say. Just I don't know in. how I'm not an individualist. Oh, I just thought you've <laughs> said that before. I thought you. I thought you kind of have raged against like individualism. You're more of like a community. Well, religious individualism. Like a communism yeah. guy, maybe. No, no. I mean, uh, community. <laughs> excuse me. That's what I meant. No, community no. guy. Not. <laughs> excuse me. I've. No, I've. Uh, no. I've thought. I've thought some ideas through on that, but no. Okay. I think individual liberty above all else. Oh, much. above all else. As far as in civil... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just pushing you, man. One of these days, I'm going to get you to actually disagree with me on the microphone. But I'm trying to make sure that I come across clear. I'm not saying anything stupid. I know. <laughs> I'm just pushing your buttons. But uh, whenever we're just sitting around, he'll disagree with me. All the time. Yeah. And then we get the microphones yeah. on, and he's like, which, you know... If you're worried about something, I can edit it out. I no, am, I'm not I, worried about anything. I was just sitting here thinking No, about we don't it. do that. We do <laughs> not edit. This is a... One hundred percent genuine non-editing podcast. Yeah, no editing. Mm, we would never do that. We've never said anything stupid and then had to edit it out. I get doxxed once a week. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. We do have to edit that all the time. Yeah. So anyway, that's my take. I don't know if you guys, you know, yeah. I think you mostly agree, but um, yeah. I don't think that the African American community is what is who is doing this in these cities. After I've watched. I even saw like a couple of videos that I got linked to from like World Star, where they said, essentially there were, there was these these black guys and they just they were catching these white guys looting. Well, so it, you don't think any black people are looting? No, there are black guys looting. That's okay. not what I'm saying. Well, that's but, my point though. Yeah, but I'm I'm thinking a lot. Of, I'm saying a lot of this are people capitalizing on the issue. It's but not it's people white that are and black. Yeah, like that's my sure. point is that yeah, I'm, I don't think it's all black people that are yeah, looting. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's all white people that are looting. Yeah. I think it's all. Complete but these guys were really just beating up anybody that was looting. Yeah. They were going through their community, pretty much protecting it, yeah. and then saying, "You're not going to hijack the cause." Yeah, and that's. But I guess, but to, to what I'm trying to say is that I think that this needs to be less binary than people are trying to make it. Is yeah. that on on either end of the spectrum, as far as who's doing the looting, who's doing the protesting, who's who's the good actors, who are the bad actors? There are people of all races and genders on each end of that. It has. Just like with the violence, with police brutality, police brutality. The problem is police brutality. No, not, but I think there are some brutality. people that are really out there protesting for that reason. Sure, that's what I'm saying. It's but they're really both white and black. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm getting. But it at. always has been. Even in the '60s, it was yeah. like that. There was there were guys that were hippies that were teaming up with the Black Panthers. 
Yeah, and exactly. stuff like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm also, optimistic. if you like, in the, was it in Spain? Whenever the anarcho capitalists and then the anarcho like communists pretty much teamed up together to fight the the mm-hmm. regime that was in in place. Mm-hmm. So you see, which that is a in, crazy combination. Yeah. Of, <laughs> yeah. I still haven't. Well, I won't. Well, I think they just want to tear, tear everything down, and then they can fight each other to see <laughs> who gets to rebuild it. Right. I think that's genuinely the idea. I do too. But th- that's what I was trying to get at, though, is that like, and I, we talked about this a little bit before the before we hit record on the podcast. But I think that it's what they want. I mean, what what they really want is for us to be divided, and what we need to concentrate on is understanding that it's a very small percentage of you know each of the bad people that we would look at, it's a small percentage that are that way of the looters. That's a small percentage. They don't represent all of us, you know, and they don't represent all of the, the protesters either. Just like we would like to say the people who actually are racists, that's a very small percentage. They don't represent us. And so on both sides, we all need to sort of just understand that as regular people without the government involved, we all have a lot more in common. Yeah. Than we realize nobody wants to extend any of the grace that they want given. No. Yeah. And that's what happens in every one of these situations. Yeah. And the gist of this is that the, the real enemy of the people is, is who? the state. No, we got to keep saying that. No, you t- not the state. Who is the enemy of the people? The corporate press. The okay, corporate gotcha, press gotcha. is the cause yeah. of this. Yeah. The press is way more of an enemy to the public than even the state. Yeah. Even, right. even more than the state. And in my opinion, because the, the press is what is, uh, not only, first of all, they started this. They had made it an issue, and now they are expound. They are making it an even bigger issue than it needs to be. I mean, they're never honest, ever. The reason that that they can they create the narrative, and then they make sure that every current event that happens fits that narrative, right? And that's the way that they cause damage to the public is by creating that narrative, and then everything that happens needs to fit that narrative. So if it doesn't fit that narrative, they, they do one of two things. They toss it to the side and they don't report on it, or they change it to make sure that it does fit that narrative. And we could give you, I mean, I could give you, you know, millions of examples, and you guys know what I'm talking about. But that's why they are the enemy of the people. Yeah, the state is more is more of a passive enemy, whereas the corporate press actively engages. Yeah, I agree. Which makes them way more dangerous. Yeah, I was sitting here thinking, like, I, I know how to... If the issue is the state, that the way to ideologically deal with that is anarchism. But how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the press? What do you mean? Well, the press would have a lot less influence if they if there was no government, right? Because they're able right. to. They're it's the same up. thing with a yeah. It's the same yeah, thing with yeah. a private company, right? Yeah. Like people that want to say that these private companies are able to get monopolies. Well, no, the only reason that they get monopolies is because of the government. Because they, what happens is when you have a state that sets laws like patents and different things like that, it's really now it's about it's not about who has the best ideas or the best product at the best prices and who has the best business. What it's about now is who has the best lobbyists, who are the best at making sure that they are the ones that get promoted or advanced by the government, either by the laws or in more back-channel greedy ways. So not just in the like sneaky ways that are like conspiracy theory, like, oh, they're so-and-so's lining the pockets of so-and-so. No, it's just that they're the ones that learn how to get the laws written or that make sure the laws get written a certain way, and then they make sure to capitalize but, on it. But by that logic, wouldn't you have to kind of dismiss corporatism too? You, know, you couldn't support the, the type of 
corporatist. I don't know what you mean by corporatism. I guess monopolization, maybe within capitalism, like more. I guess more of the brutal aspects of. There just there wouldn't be monopolies without the government. The government is what. Right, but we wouldn't say that the pro- we would say that it's the government that's causing that problem, not capitalism. Correct, or even corporations. So yeah. what I'm saying is, is the media the problem, or is it just government influence that's the problem? Oh, I see on what you're media? saying. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing, is what I'm. Yeah, I mean potentially. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean maybe I, I would be okay. fine with that. Um, but I would say that the press being, um, well, I mean they're on their way out. So I think capitalism is doing its. It's job. It's just we have to ride out the yeah. horrible yeah. times in the meantime. I mean, the the mainstream press, the corporate press, is is a dying breed. I mean, they're completely, they're done. I mean, they're yeah. they're finished completely. I mean, we're still seeing them take their last gasps. Which is one reason it feels like they're lashing out so much. Yeah, exactly. Do you think totally the death? Agree. Do you think that the death of more traditional media platforms will cause the death of the political establishment, or at least the no. No, Mm-mm. there's I, well, it's just my opinion. They're separate. I mean, they're 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 definitely they definitely work together, but I don't think that they're I don't think that the state is reliant on the press or not in not the way that the mainstream press necessarily because they'll always have the press. Whatever the new press is, the government will find a way to get involved. But it's just the the corporate press is gonna is due for a collapse and something else will come in its place and then it'll take you know centuries or decades to. You know, for the I guess where I was getting at with the corporatism thing is like, do, do you not see the Google, Facebook? Yeah. Are you including them when you're talking about media? Because yeah. I see that as more of a threat, really. What I really honestly. meant originally was I would include Google because of yeah. how much Google owns now. I mean, Facebook probably less so than Google, but Google with their ownership of YouTube and things like yeah, that, they have saying. a lot more influence in, they the, control in the press. The, yeah. They control a lot. I would, what I really meant was like Fox, CNN, MSNBC. That's what I would okay. call the corporate press. And they're on their way out because they're just it's just a dying breed. And the same, well, I mean, not just them, but like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, those are all, you know, that's the corporate press. And, you know, YouTube, I mean, Google would be included in that in a sense, but it's just that's not all that they do. Yeah. You know, even YouTube, doesn't I mean YouTube and Twitter they have a press wing of they're what they are definitely trying to control the narrative for sure yeah they are for sure but they have a lot less of a of an ability to do that as overtly as the mainstream press is because they had they had a monopoly on information for so long yeah. and it's just now it's going away and they've just been unmasked I mean Trump that's one of the greatest things that Trump has been able to do is he's completely unmasked the corporate press and their intentions. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, at least when we've talked, but like the best example I can give is somebody like a, a regular, like Joe Blow conservative, like my dad or something. He would have uh, 20 years ago, he would have said, or 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even he would have said, you know, the press has a left leaning liberal slant on their reporting. But now because of Trump, he understands that the press doesn't just have a slant. They have an agenda. They have a mission that they're trying to accomplish yep. with their narrative. And so that's probably the biggest accomplishment that, that Trump has. Yeah. I just, I guess I don't see them as, maybe I don't see them as, a, as big a threat as I should. Like I just yeah, see I them as a dying, I see them as a dying breed. Like they're, yeah, they're almost a they are. joke. Well, they yeah. are. And that's why, that's why I'm optimistic in the long run is because even everything that's happening now, it's going to go away and it's going to get better. And the reason it's going to get better is because on the other end of this, we're going to have learned a lot, and we're going to have thrown off a lot of old institutions. 
right. in the yeah, meantime. They, but we have to ride out the bad yeah. times. In the in the immediate, they're you know they, they it, I guess long term they've been fighting a war, and in the immediate they're shooting out their last bit of nuclear warheads. Mm-hmm. It's That's been right. it's been an ugly year. It's going to get worse. Yeah, it's been an ugly few years. Yeah, and it's and it's going to get worse, and then it'll get better. At least that's what I think. So, I'm down. All right. So this is I'm looking forward to this episode. Now that we're we can get past the intro, we're going to talk about music. This episode, we figured with all of the uh, just we were trying to come up with a topic and trying to decide what we we're going to do. And I mean, we could have talked about a lot of different things, but we just decided with all of the heaviness that's going on for ourselves because that's really who this podcast is for anyway because no one's listening but we wanted to just talk about music we want to talk about something fun we all all three of us love music um and so we're gonna bring up some topic we're gonna talk about some albums and probably make fun of each other for their choices and what they like and don't like i imagine you can make fun of me i'll probably pick the weirdest album of the three of us no aren't you glad none of us picked uh, an album by the shins i am glad because (laughs) the shins suck so bad the shins just are an abomination of music. So, all right. Well, I think that's good enough for our intro. You guys feel good about that? I'd feel really good about it. I got, a, I got a question. Okay. I, got, I do have one question. Okay. Uh, it sort of relates back to sort of the last week. I've seen a lot of gun sales. They've been going through the roof. Before this year started, how many guns did you own? I really would rather not disclose really? that information. Okay. Just like I'm not going to tell you where my gold is hidden <laughs> or confirm that I have any gold. Golds and gold and guns. You should be buying gold and goats? guns. Shout and out. goats, yeah. Tom Luongo. Tom Luongo. I, I will say I own three times as many guns as I'm Yeah, I, I'm more comfortable doing that. Okay. I would say starting this year. Yeah. Yeah, I own three times as many guns yeah. as I did before. What about you? Ten times as many as much ammo. I, d- I own more ammo. Like double the amount. You were already pretty yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I already had and, But I would say that that's a little bit skewed because yeah. I've been intending to do this for a, to, for a while, yeah. and it's just yeah, I finally did. Mine, mine was not in the last couple of weeks. No, me either. No, yeah, none, me either. Yeah. none of ours were attached to the riots. No, think. and we, they really weren't even the, attached yeah. to the pandemic. Not really. Not really. Yeah. I mean, I just sort of – I actually went ahead and pulled the trigger. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, I actually went ahead and – and took the leap yeah. just because I was afraid of shortages, yeah. not just not because I was like afraid for safety, but I was like, yeah. well, I'll go ahead and buy this or this because I want to get, you know, in bolt case they buy. run out. Bolt buy, yeah. Which has been totally true because ammo in our area is very hard to find. Very. Uh, maybe we need to go to a more liberal town, a few towns over, and buy some ammo. Yeah. I, I just thought about that. We need well, a gig we'll with Rural King. Rural King, if you're listening, we <laughs> got a little spot Yeah, we'll for take you. a sponsor. We'll take a sponsorship. Sure. I ask because if you are out there listening and you do not own a gun, you should I would it. highly, even if you have to wait in line, because apparently their lines are pretty long right now. Yeah. I would recommend it. Yeah. I mean, especially because of the, not only is the demand way up for obvious reasons, but also when you, when you couple that with the shutdown of a lot of factories, you know, yeah. the halt in production from, from COVID, it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a tough situation there. So yeah, get some. All right. Well, let's move on to our uh, main topic for this evening. Okay, now, time for our topic of the day. We're going in a little bit of a different direction today. We threw it out on Twitter. We put it out on Twitter. Bourbon Ghost did. Or no, we put it on the, uh, yeah, the podcast the main account. Yeah. yeah, that's probably why nobody responded. <laughs> we Odd, Odd Deacon responded. That's true. We Odd did. Deacon gave us... Uh, a video we we said to put in songs that may not meant a lot to you something like that and 
Odd Deacon put harp singing. Have, have any of you heard of harp singing before? I have only before actually because of Odd Deacon and other times on Twitter. Had you heard of it before? That was the only only way I'd heard of it, too. It's very uh, extraordinary. I don't know. That's one way to put it. I, I think me and Odd, De- Odd, Deacon, Odd Deacon, if you want to get together, I want to make a harp singing psalter. I would love to go to a church that sang the Psalms a cappella using that methodology. I feel like that was directed right at me as the ruling elder yeah. of the church that he is employed by, I might add. No, this is purely this is purely be uh, um for preference, not from oh. theological conviction. Oh, excuse me, okay. I'm, I'm no, an I'm inc- inclusive psalmist. <laughs> I'm just picking on you. Ten seconds in, I thought I thought it was a Kanye West song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would definitely be good sampled in a Kanye West yeah. song. You can go to our, uh, if you are if you have no idea what we're talking about, you can go to our Twitter and see one of the replies to the, uh, to the re- whenever we said to, you know, throw out a song and, and you can see Odd Deacon's uh, song there that he posted. You can listen to it yourselves. I'll even go give it a retweet. Yeah, and maybe we'll play a so clip of it, it on here or something so that you can listen to it, but all right, so this week we decided, uh, like I said earlier, we were trying to just maybe do something a little more fun. We just wanted to have some fun this week mm-hmm. and, and not be too heavy. Um, and so we, I just, I, th- I put something in the group chat. I was like, why don't we just pick an album that was important to you in some way? So I didn't say favorite. I didn't say anything like that, but just an album that was important to you and let's talk about it. And everybody was, y'all were good with that. So we have, uh, I chose uh, the album Neon Bible by Arcade Fire. Um, Your Hardest B, what did you choose? Harvest by Neil Young. Okay, and Bourbon Ghost, what did you choose? I went with Plans by Death Cab for Cutie. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. So we hope you'll enjoy this. Feel free to let us know your thoughts on these albums as well, or other albums you'd like us to talk about. We've, we've considered making this more of a mainstay, where like every week we just pick an album and talk about it every week, because everybody likes music, and all three of us like music a lot, I would say, wouldn't you? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We had actually talked about replacing this week in outrage history because we've kind of come to the consensus that ultimately every outrage is based in the same <laughs> the same point, exactly. and, and it kind of kind of gets old. Yeah, yeah. We got tired of it. So, and we like music a lot more than we like yeah. outrage. Yeah. So honestly, I would say that's one of the music is one of the ways we kind of became friends. Yeah. I think we we had some some similarities overlap because we're all in the same generation. We're all millennials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had a lot of overlap in the music that we like. So. Uh, I didn't get much. <laughs> I thought I'd get more of a reaction, but <laughs> I'm trying to play nice. Also, you picked Death Cab for Cutie, which is <laughs> the most millennial band that you could possibly have picked, which I have no problem with. Let me be clear. <laughs> yeah, but it just drives my point home. Anyway, okay. So, do you want me to go first? Yeah. All go right, first. I'll go first. So I chose Neon Bible by Arcade Fire. Uh, Arcade Fire is one of my. Well, first of all, had you two ever listened to this album before? I had not. I'd gone with maybe, uh, I thought I'd listen to more of it than I had. I think I'd end up hearing about maybe three or four songs. I'd never listened all the way through. Okay. So Neon, uh, Arcade Fire is one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, they're, they're easily top three for me. Uh, the only problem with that is they've got five albums now, and their first three I like a lot more than their other yeah. two, their most recent two. That's the only unfortunate part is I'm afraid. Their recent stuff's not good. I'm afraid that, it, not to me, and I'm afraid that it's just that they're done. Honestly, we could do an entire episode on the uh, three record theory. We really could. We really could. What show is that from? I don't somebody know. I didn't even know that time. was from a show. It's from a show. Somebody said, never listen to a band past their third album. And I can't, I think it was actually a Tosh.0 okay. yeah, thing one time. He, it's, he it's, said, it's a good yeah, point. It's definitely Tosh. He said that on one episode. He was like giving advice to his future self. And he's making a bunch of yeah. jokes. 
And it's really true. Never listen to a band. But so their first three albums, though, are honestly, they were all in the between 2000 and 2010, which is full of great music. But honestly, one of the best decades of all yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, I know, like, the dudes that love 70s music will be, like, appalled at that. But I'm telling you, the 2000 Is that aimed at me? I like both. No, no, I'm talking okay. about. I'm more. Okay. I was more talking about. Well, like I did pick Gen an Xers. album from the '70s. So. Yeah, that, no, that's good. I like okay. music from the '70s. Yeah, Gen Xers like '70s because they didn't have a good music when they were growing up. Exactly, and yeah. they're all like, you know, sold on the fact that like yeah. '70s music was the best music, and I like '70s music too. But this, like, you know, late '90s all the way through about 2010, yep. where we got this like huge when indie wave. really became a thing. Exactly, yeah. we got it's this really good. huge wave of indie rock. Yeah, and it was. I anyway. missed so much stuff. I'm still finding yeah. gems. Me that, too. Me that too. Were left behind. Even this one, Neon Bible. I, there were so many good albums that came out when I was in college. It just kind of flew. Under yeah, my I radar. was shocked that I hadn't heard. I mean, this is a great album. Yeah. Oh, I'm and so I'd glad to hear you it. say that. Okay, yeah. so, so there's a lot of there's a lot of I could talk about this album for for 45 minutes or an hour on on its own, but. What I decided to do was I thought I would just talk a little bit generally about the album, get you guys' thoughts, and then I picked three songs to go a little more in-depth on, and so we'll try to be fairly brief. So Neon Bible um, is Arcade Fire's second album. It's their first album where they actually got a little bit of money behind their production. So their first album, well, they had like an EP, and then they had a full LP album. It's called Funeral, which was, is really good. Was there some connection with this band and LCD Sound System or... I don't know. I thought Maybe. I was reading something. Yeah, one of be. them in the same band was the was the this oh, vocalist in that band. I don't think the vocalist. I don't know. I, okay. I don't know if Win Butler was or not, but if he was, that would be news to me. If only we had somebody to fact check. That. Yeah. If only we had Google or something. So anyway, I'm not gonna. All right. So Neon Bible, they got a little bit of um, money behind the production, so their production was really good um, on this album. They were able to do a little more. I'm not sure that this is my f- even my favorite Arcade Fire album necessarily. I really like the Suburbs a lot too. That it's like between the Suburbs and which was in 2010 and Neon Bible which was in 2007 and then Funeral is right behind that in 2004. I love all three of these albums. But I chose Neon Bible for a couple of reasons. One because it's the one of those three that most people would put third. Most people don't like this album and I think that it's a huge oversight on most people's part. It's a little bit weirder uh, in some ways. And the other reason is because it's it's very religious. It deals with, with religion um, pretty explicitly throughout the album, and that's why it was important to me. So this album came out my freshman year of college. Um, I remember it hugely, uh, bigly. Um, and I remember this album just so well. It's one of those albums that takes me back to like a very, very distinct point in time in my life. And, you know, I'm out on my own. I grew up in a, in a household where we were pretty much only allowed to listen to, like, contemporary Christian music. And so I was listening to some other music by the time I was 16, but it was, like, only in my car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know, need to do our, our favorite cr- contemporary Christian music. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it would probably be just me and you. I'm not sure if Bourbon Ghost No, I, I had some DC talk. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. I oh, didn't yeah. know if you had oppressive. No, I, I still jam out to Fa- the light your, What's your favorite? <laughs> favorite? No, no, no. We will do that on a okay. different time. <laughs> Hold on. This is already probably going to be long enough. Because <laughs> we all love these albums, but um, so anyway, this album was important to me for those reasons, and also because throughout college I began to I, I majored in philosophy and I began to deal with you know start to having to deal with my faith, having grown up a Christian and very cliche you know go to college have a crisis of faith. I wouldn't say I had a crisis of faith, but it becomes a very personal album to me for a lot of those reasons though because of the the way that it deals with 
I would say it doesn't deal with so much with the idea of God as much as much as it does the establishment or the institution of religion. And that's why it resonated so much with me at the time. So just by the title of the album and the title track, Neon Bible, which I won't go into as one of my in-depth ones, but it basically is a reference to um, megachurch. You know, um, yeah, I saw they got an inspiration from like binge watching televangelists and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so it's you know the idea of the neon Bible, and in the song Neon Bible, they they repeat this refrain in the chorus that if the neon Bible, uh, there's not much chance for survival if the neon Bible is right or if the neon Bible is true, and it's so good because it's so true, right? If this if this is what religion is, if this is who God is, this what what the televangelist what the Joel Osteen's and dare I say the Stephen Furtick's of the yeah. world yeah. Uh, are out there saying then there really is not much chance for survival. So that that really sets it's the just tone. a get rich quick scheme exactly. So the first song I wanted to go in depth on is a song called Ocean of Noise. Uh, it's a song that probably doesn't get a lot of love from the album, um, which is a very millennial thing for me to do is to pick the song that not most people would pick. But uh, I love this song. I love this song so much. It's probably the most subtle song instrumentally. Oh, one of the cool things I meant to mention about this album was that they actually bought an old church to record this album in. So it's got a lot of, if you've never listened to it, it has a lot of like organ as the main, and it's like a pipe organ, and it's a real pipe organ because they bought an old <laughs> an old church and like restored it. In I order saw that, to, that, that. That was a cool part, Yeah, I think. So anyway, um, well, here's a clip from Ocean of Noise, actually, that we can we can put in here so you can at least hear what the song, kind of the vibe of the song sounds like. Ringing like a bell As if I had a choice, oh well So anyway, this song has a lot of, um, it's like I said, it's probably the most subtle. It's it's not as in your face musically or as weird even in some ways as, as the other ones. But it basically is the, it is the story of, it's the narrator is talking. Um, I, I personally think the song is religious to its core. I, I, there are a lot of, if you read the internet, there's been a lot of digital ink spilled on this, on this song in various ways. But... The phrase ocean of noise itself is meant, in my opinion, to indicate the lostness or confusion of the world, is that in this ocean of noise. Um, so in the first voice, in the first verse, he says, he says this, in an ocean of noise, I first heard your voice ringing like a bell as if I had a choice. Oh, well, left in the morning while you were fast asleep into an ocean of violence, a world of empty streets. So he comes right off the bat, and he's talking about in this in this confusion and in this this lostness. I first heard your voice, and he says, as if ringing your voice was ringing like a bell, as if I had a choice. Oh well. So automatically, the narrator is acknowledging that God is the one that is speaking to him, 
not the other way around. And he said, I mean, they said this album's about religion too. Yeah, yeah. It's not like we're just speculating. The the album itself is a lot. There in 2007, of course, it's like seven years into the George Bush presidency, and we're like in war, and so a lot of this is. I mean, Arcade Fire is a left leaning you know band for sure, and so there's it's very political and it's very religious. Those are really the two strands that it runs throughout. And this song particularly, I think, is religious. So anyway, it says he right off the bat acknowledges that God is the one that initiates contact with him, not the other way around. And then he says he leaves his house left in the morning while you were fast asleep, insinuating that God is not paying attention to what's going on in the world because he goes out into the world into an ocean of violence and into a world of empty streets, that this is a horrible place. All right, but he's heard from God, and he's supposed to believe that God exists, but he goes out into the world, and he doesn't see that reconciling. And then the, the chorus starts out, you've got your reasons, and me, I've got mine. But all the reasons I gave were just lies to buy myself some time. So he's acknowledging right here off the bat that, you know, God's probably got his explanation for what's going on in the world. But me, I've got my explanation, too. You know, I'm mad. This God doesn't exist, you know, is what, it, what he looks at. But then he's realizing now, he said, and he even says that, um, but all the reasons I gave were just lies that he was telling himself to buy himself some time. So then he goes on in the second verse, and he says, In an ocean of noise, I first heard your voice again. Then he says, Now who here among us still believes in choice? Not I. Which very Calvinistic line. Yeah, I love that part. <laughs> Did you like that? Your hardest. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, it's you know very, very Calvinistic. So he goes, you know, it's very similar to the first voice or the first verse. And the narrator is recognizing here that he first hears God's voice in the confusion. And then he comes again with that great line, who here among us still believes in choice, not I. And so I think that, you know, right here, I think that the the author or the narrator is basically at a point where he's trying to decide if he believes in God or if he just belie- if he's just a nihilist. Yeah. You know what I mean? If he's just an absurdist or just, you know, doesn't, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's just, okay, well, I, I don't have any choice, but... There's nothing I can do about it. And I think as the song continues, we see where he ends up landing. So then it goes back to the chorus, you've got your reasons. And then the last part of the song, which maybe we should play here so that people can see it. says this he just keeps repeating it like you just heard i'm gonna work it out i'm gonna work it out because time won't work it out i'm gonna work it out because time won't work it out for you and he just repeats this over and over so what he's i think in my opinion this is where the narrator is accepting the personal side of religion 
that he has a part to play, although he may not have a literal choice, like complete free will, but he has a part to play. He's going to work it out because time won't work it out. Waiting around, not making a decision, not doing anything is not going not gonna to work. It's not going to do anything. And so, you know, I think this is, like I said, I think this is the, the author or the narrator taking personal responsibility for his relationship with God and also with the world because he's going to work it out. You know, he's going to go to battle trying to come to grips with the idea of God and violence, with the idea of culture, of everything else that the album's going to talk about, war, politics, government, everything. Because what he had been doing, waiting around for things to pass, is not going to cut it. So that's my thoughts on that song. What do you guys think? I don't know. There's a lot there. I definitely didn't go that deep in my analysis of my of my album. Choice. <laughs> that's pretty some pretty deep analysis. Of yeah, my I I would say that uh, I do. I, I need to listen to this album more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's really only one song on this album so far that I feel like I've really dissected the lyrics. Which on. one is that? Uh, Windowsill. Oh, Window, okay. Windowsill. That's I think not even, that yeah, Windowsill. Yeah. That's not even one of the ones yeah. I'm, I'm talking about. But yeah. I do love that song, and I want to be clear about this too. That yeah. like any of the songs that I don't go in depth, it does not mean I don't think because Windowsill will be one of them. Also, I mean, yeah. oh man, that song is so. It good. seems super relevant right this oh, yeah. week too. But I, I definitely did take that song in a re- when I listened to it in a religious yeah. way. Yeah. I just think and I, I thought of it as the same. Uh, there's a lot of bands we we talk about that we listen to, uh, Manchester Orchestra being one that like seem to talk about struggling with faith mm-hmm. in the battle between nihilism and faith. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because and this is one of the things that that I found as I went into philosophy in college is that you know I grew up in a Southern Baptist culture that's very like free will heavy, and like even in secular philosophy. The idea of free will is like not very highly respected. <laughs> like there are, there's not even a lot of philosophers that believe you have like pure yeah. libertarian free will, as they would call it. Like where you're completely free to make your like nothing, no outside influences are on your decisions. And I think this song, uh, what I love about this song is, is it traces. I think, and I think this is very this. I love Kierkegaard, and he has a lot to say about this as well. This whole subjective, in the sense that it. your faith has to become something personal to the subject that it's happening to being the individual and I think that that's what happens in this song is that he he does that as he's coming to grips with the fact that he is hearing from God even though he's not the one initiating the contact so now he's having to come to grips with the idea that he is not he doesn't have choice in the matter but he still sees chaos he still sees violence in the world so what does that mean and I think that's, you know, I just think that's one of the great things of this of this album. And I could be totally wrong. <laughs> it's one of the beautiful things about music. I could be totally missing everything. But anyway. Kind of that leap to faith. Leap to faith. Yeah. That's right. Not leap of faith. That's good. I like that. I like that you pointed that out. <laughs> All right. So I decided the other song I would talk about is a song called Intervention, which I think both of you guys like. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I like it though that it points out the hypocrisy of a lot of ministers, even. Yeah. In the line, I'm. You can help me out, but the line where he says, "Essentially, your family's." Yeah. What it, What is he working saying? for the church while your family Families. dies? Yes. Yeah. When you see me on my phone over here, I'm not ignoring you. I'm actually pulling up lyrics. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it's totally fine. Uh, first of all, one of the great parts of this song is the way it starts out musically. 
with just the oh, the, the organ. pipe the pipe the, organ. Yeah. I'm an oh. organ guy, anyways. Yeah, but that just sounds so good. It's just got such a good sound. It's a very powerful song right off the bat. Uh, and it, it, anyway, I won't go quite as in depth with this one as I did the other one, as I did with Ocean of Noise. But this song is basically, I think you could take this song in a lot of different ways. But if I look at it from more of a religious perspective, um, which is basically that he, he has a few lines in here where he says this. Uh, for instance, he says he's talking about a, a pastor. He's definitely talking about somebody who's in the ministry. That's what I think. Yeah, they could be a missionary or they could be whatever, but they are a very devoted pastor. And the part of the song is basically that they're even devoted, possibly out of legalism, possibly out of this sort of it makes themselves feel better, and they actually end up denying the other responsibilities in their life. He says, um, he says, for instance, he says, you'll find there's a, uh, wait, no, he says, you're still a soldier in your mind, but nothing's on the line. You say it's money that we need as if we're only the mouths to feed. I know that no matter what you say, there are some debts we never pay, that you'll never pay. Then the chorus is working for the church while your family dies. You take what they give you and you keep it inside, which I think is a great line, yeah. <laughs> which is what happens. I, I've seen it a lot. I mean, growing up in church, which is that pastors can have a tendency or not have a tendency, but it can happen to some people. I'll put it that way. It's, I wouldn't say it's just a huge problem, but it happens to some people where you work for the church, but your family is suffering. You take what they give you. You take what's supposed to be spiritual nourishment, but you keep it inside. You don't do anything with it. You don't give it to other people. Then it says, every spark of friendship and love will die without a home. Here the soldier grown will go at it alone. Um, and then he says, I can taste the fear. Lift me up and take me out of here. Don't want to fight. Don't want to die. Just want to hear you cry. Who's going to throw the very first stone? Oh, who's going to reset the bone? Walking with your hand in the sling want to hear the soldiers sing so again a lot lot that we could go into there i probably won't go into you know we don't have to keep going on every line but then it goes back into the verse or in the chorus working for the church while my family dies your little baby sister's gonna lose her mind every spark of friendship and love will die without a home here the soldier grown will go out alone and i think it all climaxes to this last and you can really hear it at the end and i should have said this at the beginning i think we'll see this theme but one of the things that I like in music, vocally, I don't really need a vocalist to be like technically no. good, like mm-hmm. a good vocalist, right? Yeah. Like I love Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Win Butler has like a just like technically great Bob voice. Bob Dylan, yeah, Bob Dylan. You know, even Neil Young, which yeah. we'll talk about. Even Ben Gibbard. You know, I mean, but what I really want out of a vocalist is for them to make me to sing with the type of emotion that the song is supposed to make me feel. And Wynn Butler is just an absolute master at this. And at the end of this song, which maybe we should play a little clip of it here so that people can, can actually hear the way that he cha- the way that his voice goes.
can feel him there get more and more like passionate. I, w- yeah. I don't even know if it's upset or what, but he's just more passionate. And he says, uh, I can taste your fear. It's going to lift you up and take you out of here. If the bone shot never heals, I cannot make him yield. You can't find me now, but they're going to get their money back somehow. And I think that's a little bit of a reference to the church mm-hmm. and the way that it, it actually abuses its pastors. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. You know, that it actually, that they're, you can't find me now. He's gone, but you better believe they're going to get their money back somehow because you actually were just a paid employee the whole time. They didn't care about you. Yeah. <laughs> you were just a mercenary. And you sacrificed, apparently. I mean, you from sac- his viewpoint right. of view, you sacrificed for the church, and it's kind of turned its back on you. Exactly, exactly right. And he says, and when you finally disappear, we'll just say you were never here. And how true is that for so many churches? It is very true. I mean, when their pastor leaves, whether, no matter how long, they'll just act like he was never there. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that anyway, then he gets really, really into it here. He says, been working for the church while your, fam- while your life falls apart. You're singing hallelujah with a fear in your heart. Every spark of friendship and love will die without a home. Hear the soldier groan. So, faith without any f- love, compassion. Exactly, and possibly not even true faith. Right. Yeah, like yeah, that's right. I think yeah, what we're yeah. finding here yeah. is that this guy was not a true pastor at all. Yeah. To begin with, you know, he was in it for himself. Not even in like the material gain. But we can be, we, we all can tend to be like spiritual martyrs if we're not careful. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a little bit here. So I've been working for the church while your life falls apart. You're singing hallelujah, but with a fear in your heart. I like that with the fear in your heart. Yeah. Aspect's pretty good. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Having, think, a, having a troubled conscience is not faith. That's right. Yeah. Right. Right. Just because you're worried, you know, with, about your eternal state doesn't mean you're a Christian. I think this song is a really good example of what you were talking about with vocals. Yeah. And honestly, I think that is one thing that all three of these albums we've chosen kind of have in common. Uh, I had this discussion with my wife before we came over. I played her a Neil Neil Young song just (laughs) just to kind of annoy her. (laughs) She just does not like his voice at all. And uh, she is a vocalist. Uh, You can actually find her on Spotify on a few recordings. Uh, I mean, she's she's pretty good. Uh, She's very good but she doesn't play any other instruments and, and she'll be the first to admit whenever she listens to a song, she's listening for vocals first and foremost. Like it's an instrument. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. Which it is. is. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be just like a guitar. You don't like, Oh, just because well, you're yeah. technically good. Doesn't mean you make good art. Yeah. I was going to, I mean, I was, I'll save it from when I talk about Neil. Young. All right. All right. No, that's it. I just, I, I find it fascinating. All of my friends are sort of this way. Like I've got a friend, uh, and I'll probably talk about him when I, when I do my album, uh, his name on Twitter is Unlimited Hawk. Shout out Unlimited Hawk. And uh, he is a guitarist, very good guitarist. And that's the first thing he, he listens for. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing he hears. He does not care how horrible, the like, he he loves Coheed and Cambria. Oh, jeez. <laughs> can't stand the guy's voice. <laughs> they have a few good songs, I <laughs> think. Uh, yeah, they do. yeah, I just can't stand the guy's voice. Yeah. It's, it's an Also very millennial to be into Coheed yeah. and Cambria. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Not me. Yeah, I'm not saying Yeah, you. yeah. No, he, uh, but he's, the guitars are so... He's so in love with the guitars on those that that's all he listens yeah. for. No, just, I have friends like that. It's just if you're focused on one thing, like if that's your specialty, you kind of can't get over that sometimes. Yeah. All right. So the last one I want to go in depth on is the song, the song that they have, and it's in parentheses, and it's titled "Antichrist Television Blues." Yes. And here's the reason that it's in parentheses. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the the working title for this song was called Jessica Simpson's Dad. 
Okay, nice. so that helps kind of frame yeah. this. So, you know, if y'all don't remember, I mean, remember Jessica Simpson, like around this time, was a huge deal. Her, she had that show with, uh, who was she married to? Nicholas Shea. And, like, you know, she was, like, a ch- former church singer, yeah. now turned pop star. She, she was the original Katy Perry. Yeah, she was. I mean, she, she, was, she really was. And so this song is all about a dad who is supposedly putting his daughter, who's very talented, or his children, up for performance, but performance in the church and for God's glory. Mm-hmm. And he's having to reckon with the idea of whether or not he's actually doing this for God's glory. And so that kind of sets the, the tone for the, for the uh, song. So he goes, I don't want to work in a building downtown. So right off the bat, yep, you yeah. see. I love that he, line, too. Yeah. Really right cool. off the bat, you see what his actual motivation is. I literally just got chills as I thought about it again because I love this song so much. This was the song, by the way, that got me into this album. So this album, you can tell, is very Springsteen-influenced. The yeah, way that they do sure. it is very... And they even admit that. And Apparently Elvis, too. Yeah, and you Elvis can too. You pick up on it. Oh, and, yeah. And I'm sure. glad you mentioned that, because I, I was maybe two or three songs in, and I was like, I wonder if that's why he likes this album. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's I would definitely say that that's not necessarily why I like it now, yeah. but that's what made me want to get it and listen to it yeah. back then. You know, okay. because I loved Springsteen already, yeah. and I was like, oh, okay, an indie band that, like, yeah. it love Springsteen. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Because I had only barely listened to Funeral. Like, I'd heard Wake Up and, you know, the, but I wasn't into them yet, and this album made me get into Arcade Fire more. So, anyway, I don't want to work in a building downtown. No, I don't want to work in a building downtown. I don't know what I'm going to do because the planes keep crashing always two by two. I don't want to work in a building downtown. No, I don't want to see when the planes hit the ground. So obviously a reference Mm -hmm. to September 11th there. But right off the bat in the first stanza, you get the father's actual motivation, you know. Yeah. And by the way, this is uh, another Springsteen thing that they do here. They don't have a chorus, which Springsteen does in a lot of his most famous songs, like Thunder Road, no chorus. Um, He's done that in a few few places, so there's no, no chorus here. So then it says, I don't want to work in a building downtown parking their cars in the underground. Their voices, when they scream, they make no sound. I want to see the city's rust and the troublemakers riding on the back of the bus. So again, you're seeing the actual heart of this father before he gets into this next stanza where he says, Dear God, I'm a good Christian man. In your glory, I know you understand that you've got to work hard and you've got to get paid. My girl's 13, but she don't act her age. She can sing like a bird in the cage. Oh, Lord, if you could see her when she's up on that stage. So he's starting now. The wheels are starting to turn on how he can get out of this life of a building downtown. But he's he's being introspective, and he doesn't see himself as a bad guy. You know, he's saying, "I'm a good Christian man, but you know, I got to work. You know, I got to get paid. This is a good thing, right? Like this is what he's he's having this conversation. And he says, "You know that I'm a God fearing man. You know that I'm a God fearing man, but I just got to know if it's part of your plan to seat my daughters there on your right hand." I know that you'll do what's right, Lord, for they are the lanterns and you are the light. So again, that reference right there, you know, to be people that are not Christians, the reference of the story of the disciples or the disciples' mother who asked yeah. about her sons being on the right hand of Jesus yeah. is a great reference. You know, because it is. that story is about how the you know Jesus rebukes the mother and you know mm-hmm. tells her you should not be concerned about that. Right. You know. Um so anyway. Uh, then it says, now I'm overcome by the light of day. My lips are near, but my heart is far away. Tell me what to say. I'll be your mouthpiece. So he's, he, he realizes that his lips are saying the right things, but his heart is far away. And you think he's about to make a breakthrough, 
but then he goes back to tell me what to say. I'll be your mouthpiece. He goes back to only being concerned about the words that he's saying and not about his actual heart, not about his soul. All right, so he goes on, into the light of a bridge that burns as I drive from the city with the money that I earned into the black of a starless sky. I'm staring into nothing, and I'm asking you why. Lord, will you make her a star so the world can see who you really are? So he says he's, he's obviously lamenting that he's poor, that he's, ta- he's leaving the city with all that he has left, just a little bit of money that he has left. And then he says, Lord, will you make her a star? He want, he, he's clearly acknowledged he wants to get out of his life. But then he's like, immediately takes a turn and says, well, the reason is so the world can see use you know so the so he's trying to like you can justify. tell yeah you can tell he's still tr- like trying to justify himself as he goes then he says now he's t- now he turns and he's not talking to god anymore he's talking to his daughter little girl you're old enough to understand that you'll always be a stranger in a strange strange land the men are going to come while you're fast asleep so you better just stay close and hold on to me so you think he's trying to protect his daughter as she's becoming famous right but then this line <laughs> It was just so creepy, but so good. He says, if my little mockingbird don't sing, then daddy won't buy her no diamond ring. Just so good. I mean, just yeah. like he's in beat. Now he's starting to turn on his own daughter, right? He s- starts out trying to protect her, you know, telling her, you got to stay close to me. Men are going to come. Then he says, but if you don't sing, daddy won't buy you no diamond ring. And then he goes back talking to God. Dear God, would you send me a child? Oh, God, would you send me a child? Because I want to put it up on the TV screen. So, again, he wants a famous child. But then he turns and he says, so the world can see what your true word means. Lord, would you just send me a sign? Because I just got to know if I'm wasting my time. Then he goes back to the refrain. Now I'm overcome by the light of day. My lips are near, but my heart, heart is far away. And he changes it and he says, now the war is won. How come nothing tastes good? So his daughter is now famous. The war is won. He got what he wanted. But how come nothing tastes good? Yeah, he's not satisfied. He's not satisfied. He's not satisfied. Now he's going back to talk to his daughter. You're such a sensitive child. Oh, you're such such a sensitive child. I know you're tired, but it's all right. I just need you to sing for me tonight. You're going to have your day in the sun. You know God loves the sensitive ones. So he's pushing her, pushing her more and more. Oh, my little bird in a cage. Oh, my little bird in a cage. I need you to get up for me up on that stage and show the men that you're old for your age. Another creepy yeah, line, yeah. but totally what was happening in this era of fathers pushing their Yeah, even young inside daughters. like Big Eva and stuff. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now ain't the time for fear, but if you don't take it, it'll disappear. If you don't take this opportunity, you're not going to have it anymore. And you can tell here, this is another instance where Wynn Butler. His vocals match perfectly. Right about this time in the song, you can tell the the uh, narrator of the story, the father, is starting to get mad. He's getting mad at his daughter, and you can tell that it's turning. But it, maybe he's getting mad at his daughter, or maybe he's getting mad at his own existence. And that's where it comes here. And he says, oh, my little mockingbird sing. Oh, my little mockingbird sing. I need you to get up on that stage for me, honey, and show the men it's not about the money. We want to hold a mirror up to the world so that they can see themselves inside my little girl. And then in this last stanza, he's absolutely furious. His voice like changes drastically.
says, do you want to know where I was at your age? Any idea where I was at your age? I was working downtown for the minimum wage, and I'm not going to let you just throw it all away. I'm through being cute. I'm through being nice. Oh, tell me, Lord, am I the Antichrist? And the song just cuts off, just immediate end. This song is a masterpiece in writing. In I my agree. opinion. Very I agree. good. Very good. I mean, it is an absolute masterpiece in writing. And stylistically, it's it's very well done. Oh. Like the Especially way that, that he, organ on intervention. Yeah. Like this song, the way that the last stanza is a direct reference to the first stanza, working in a building downtown, and he comes full circle all the way to basically telling his daughter now he's mad at her. Like he's trying to promote her, trying to make her feel better, but at the end he's mad because she's rejecting it. She doesn't want it. And he's telling her you better take it. You're so ungrateful. And then the last line, it's like he has the realization that maybe he's the Antichrist. Maybe he is evil, actually, after all. He's the problem. <laughs> anyway, crazy. I love it. It's it's one of those two that obviously I can't relate to the, the uh, literal yeah. parts of it, but it's something that is so relatable to all of us because – how many times can we justify right. our actions? Absolutely, all the time. And so, to to take such an, an absurd and extreme version that this happened to an actual person out there in the world, and take his story and make it relatable to the way we do, especially when this guy's not even a Christian. Right. It's kind of amazing. Right. Well, anyway, like I said, I could spend a lot of. Time. I mean, I didn't even talk about keep the car running. Or No Cars Go, or My Black Body Mirror. is a Cage, or even the song Black Mirror. Which inspired the show. That's right. It inspired a whole series. So if of you the, like the show Black Mirror, then you have to listen to this album. Yeah, which in and of itself, you know, the title Black Mirror is a reference to the TV screen when it's turned off. Yeah. Right? It's just a black mirror. You see yourself. You don't see the entertainment anymore. You see yourself on a black mirror. And then the song's really about antisocial Yeah, and this, behavior. but think about yeah. it. This album came out the year the iPhone was, was released. Like, how much more of a problem is this yeah. now yeah. than it was then? And that's what they are. They were so far ahead in recognizing the problems with entertainment and with pop culture. And, I mean, this song, the song we just talked about, Antichrist Television Blues, is a direct, like, commentary on pop, yeah, on pop culture. Because, I mean, back in the early 2000s to when this, this was huge. Jessica Simpson, Nick Lachey, all this stuff was, this stuff was huge. And it was the beginning of what we would see later with the Kardashians or whatever. Yeah, the, you know, all the MTV kind of invented reality yeah, TV. Absolutely. And they referenced MTV on this album yeah, a couple yeah. times that we didn't even get into. So I recommend you go listen to this album. Give it a really, really thorough listen. It's a little bit weird. I'm not denying that at all. Arcade Fire, they're a little it weird. It was really weird when I watched. <laughs> so I listened to the album. I loved it. And then I looked at, watched a live video of them performing. And then there's some freaks. Like the oh, way yeah, they they're look. weird. Yeah, they're weird. They have a whole. They actually have like a movie about this album. Okay, it's pretty weird, but I like it. What's the movie called? <laughs> I think it's called Black Mirror. Okay, uh, I'll check it out. Yeah, I'll check it out. I can't remember. I watched it. A long I mean, time I'm ago. about weird. One of my buddies yeah. in college bought it, and we all went over to his house and watched it. And I was definitely the biggest Arcade Fire fan in the room, and they were all just like, "This is so weird." Like they respected Arcade Fire, but they didn't like love Arcade Fire like I did. But and so Arcade Fire has turned out to be one of my favorite bands. Like I said, the, honestly, probably The Suburbs is my favorite. If you've ever seen Revolutionary Road, the movie, The Suburbs is like the album of that movie. Um, and it's so good, too. There's so many. I mean, I could 
maybe we'll do this again and I'll talk about the suburbs because I could probably spend even more time on that. Mm-hmm. But this album, the reason I picked it was just because it was important in a different way and I wanted to highlight it because it's an album that I think doesn't get highlighted yeah. as much as it should. I feel like I would have more to say, and we've kind of had discussions about this before too. It is very hard for me to give an honest review on an album the first time through. Sure. I have to listen to there are even my favorite albums. Like if I went through my top 10 favorite albums, I probably didn't like any of them the first time through. Yeah. 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 I have to listen to them a dozen times. Yeah. I didn't like, I, I didn't love this album the first time through. The only song that I just like was hooked at the first time I remember was actually Antichrist television blues. Yeah. One, because it is very Springsteen esque. Uh, so I liked it immediately, but it just, the, the lyrics, just like the passion of it just yeah. like gripped me. I, I, I got chills. I remember exactly where I was everything. The first time that I heard it, I was just, I was hooked. I can, awesome. I can tell I'm gonna like it. Yeah. That, that's what I do. Keep listening to yeah. it. You're gonna, but it does musically. It takes a little time to grow. I think on you, it's probably their weirdest musical album of the first three for sure, mm-hmm. or the most different. But it's good though. And that's Arcade Fire, Neon, Neon Bubble. Bubble. Yeah. Thank you guys for indulging me. I'm sorry I took so long, but I get fired up about Arcade Fire. Fired up, man. I'm full of puns tonight. <laughs> All right, Gear Hardest. Let's move over to you for Neil Young. Okay. Do you do you mind if I go for? I don't want people to turn off this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my fault. If they do, I'll take the blame for that one. Oh, because of because it's going to be so long. Oh, people are gotcha. going gotcha. to get tired of hearing me talk about Arcade Fire. We just maybe we could put like some uh, links, you know, in the show notes. I don't know if we're if we're that tech savvy or not, but we'll, we'll see. I don't know if we want to get, you know, we don't. We, I don't well, know. I if we probably get, figure it out. I don't know if we want to get that good at our production or anything. <laughs> but you, can I say this before you start yeah, about Neil yeah, Young? Yeah. Use your microphone. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Uh, You're going to call him a communist? No. <laughs> Although a Southern man don't need him around. But yeah. uh, I will say there are a few people that are like this. But Neil Young is a gap in my music listening history. I, I have never. This, is, this, this album, Harvest, was literally the first Neil Young album I've ever listened to. Like all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only song of his I ever knew was uh, Sweet Caroline. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking of keep rocking in the. Oh, is that a joke? Okay, I've just. Oh, was that a keep, joke? Keep, okay. I've just never. I've just never listened to him. Yeah, I've well, just you, never listened. You to listen him. to Bob Dylan. See, he's another one that I probably have a pretty big gap. I've listened okay. to a lot more Bob okay. Dylan than I have Neil Young. Yeah, but I kind of put those two together yeah. in my mind. Yeah, I do too. And I guess that's why I've never listened to Neil Young is because I've listened to Bob Dylan. And it's like, why do I need to listen to Neil Young? There's a good point there. Plus, Leonard Skinner told me. I was I about to say to. that's the whole. I don't think any of us listen to him, but for that reason, yeah, we don't. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I've just never listened to him. But I respect. He's one of those people that yeah. I haven't not listened to him because I know that I won't like him. I respect him. It's just I've never listened to him. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, and I think there's probably better albums. I could. Well, I was gonna say. You know, I was going to go with Sweet Sleep Well Beast by The National. Ooh, that's a good one. And also... We had in, enough indie rock already, though, so... Then, and then I almost went with the Unplugged Nirvana album. Oh, jeez. Well, that would have been good if you wanted to uh, bring up the most overrated album from the most <laughs> overrated band of all time. That would have been all good. Right. But I think we'll, something... We'll okay, that okay, that episode. Okay, overrated bands. Okay. Nirvana. All right. So, yeah... <laughs> I think that there's something that the one thing that all three of those have in common is the quick they have changes in tempo, a lot of changes in tempo. Like the national as well mm-hmm. as this album, if you listen to it all the way through. It oh, yeah. it's not 
I don't know how to explain it other than it's kind of like what you said. It's not necessarily what the the it's definitely not the talent of the vocals. It's not, but it's also not really the content of the lyrics. It's him being able to express the emotion that he's trying to convey. Yep. The lyrics on all on this whole album are very basic. They're dealing with like very common things in life, but that his tone sets the melancholy yep. nature of what he's trying to convey. I definitely got that on it. I, I, yeah. I do. That was one of my first impressions was that he did a really, like he's really excellent. I don't know if he's this yeah. way in all of his stuff, but on this album he was really, really excellent at, at what you just said, at, mm-hmm. at matching, making you feel the way that you're supposed to feel based on his. Like he's, it, I mean, the whole time, you know, you know, uh, out on the weekend, the song out on the weekend, he's he's talking about, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy a pickup. I'm going to load it down. I'm going to take it to L.A. I'm going to start a new life. He's saying all these good things that he's about to do, yet he's saying it so miserably and singing it so miserably. Not as a not as a triumph of, of no, leaving town. Not at all. And, like, the whole first, you know, the first side of the album is, is like, it has the song Heart of Gold on it. It has the Out on the Weekend song. It has A Man Needs a Maid. And those are all songs that are dealing with him being alone uh, him him thinking that if he finds you know women or wealth or just doing things the normal way in life going out in the country and living in the country that will help and then the second album when it flips goes to the song old man which apparently Neil Young when he wrote this when he when he recorded this album was at a pretty low state and he had just bought a ranch and the guy when he bought the ranch it came with the hired help that had been there for like 40 years and the, that is the man that he's talking to is the old man. Oh, interesting. And he's talking about how, how you know, he, I don't want to just go through and read the lyrics, but it talks about living alone. Was in that a, a shot at me? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> living living alone in a paradise, you know, and uh, essentially the old. it's a conversation between him and the old man. And at the end, the old man pretty much says, yeah, life is, <laughs> life's, yeah. Life, yeah. It sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 Neil, I think is, I think there is a little bit of a, a religious undertone in some areas, when he says, uh, "In uh, Are You Ready for the Country?" He says, "I was talking to the preacher. He said God was on my side. I was talking to the hangman, and he said it's time to die." Yeah. So he, there's this that going back between melancholy and things are going to be all right if I just start over, fresh. Mm-hmm. And and what I was going to say about. I don't really relate to that necessarily. Like, it didn't pull me through a dark time or anything. I like listening to it uh, a lot. I think it's very almost postmodern to say this isn't really a shot, but, like, uh, Bourbon Ghost was talking about, you know, even in response to your album, like, I don't know that I can really relate to all the content. To me, that really doesn't come up when I'm listening to music. I don't really need to relate. Yeah, yeah. To the message of what's being said. No, I, I agree. Yeah. So... I think that's what he was saying too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think that matters at all. Uh, I, I agree. Think this some is albums a struggle do, with wealth. Like some albums, you do. Yeah. You know, connect like on a more personal. Like you're going through the exact thing that 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 the writer is talking about. But sometimes you just it resonates with you because you just can't. You just to me that's what's good song. What good songwriting is mm-hmm. is you, you don't have to go through it. You can just understand as like I mean how many like if you read Lord of the Rings or you read some great novel, 
you don't need to know what it was like to fight orcs, but you can yeah. learn story. You can learn something from stories, whether you directly relate or not. And I think that's Absolutely. the mark of a good of good writing. Yeah, I think a lot of that is an age thing too, where everything when you're younger feels more magnified. So you yeah. feel way more connected to every song you listen to. Whereas the older you get, a lot of it's just, I enjoy this. It's a little more background while I'm doing something mundane around the house. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that makes me weird. Like I have a disconnect. I, I can listen to hip hop and they might be talking about something that I can't relate to in the least, <laughs> the least bit. Yet I love it as an art form. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think know. that's fair. Yeah. Totally. And I think that's what I love about this album is that he... That's what I was going to ask. He went like, out, he went out, to, he set out trying to make, you know, just take his style, which is really, you know, hippie, that, that hippie culture. He tried to make a Nashville, he went to Nashville and tried to make a Nashville country album. Mm-hmm. And it's really the, still the bandmates from, from Crazy Horse that are in it. But I just love what he did stylistically. Yeah. It's very melancholy, but it's also... Kind of uplifting in areas and points. It's pretty dark in a lot of points. Too, yeah, though, it is. It which is. I like. I yeah, mean, I've yeah, always yeah. liked dark art and music mm-hmm. for some reason. But it's it's me- but it's dark while saying positive things. I agree. That's kind of what's cool about it. I <laughs> yeah. Think. There's yeah. this like, it's all and again, this is the first time I've listened to this album. I've only listened to it one time, but there's seems to be some uh, huge contrasts in what he's saying and how he's saying it. Yeah, you know I, what I mean. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, like um. Like you know, might be it's saying, almost like Nirvana in the song "Dumb" when they go, they keep saying, "Am I just dumb? Am I just dumb?" And then Kurt said, "Or am I just happy?" Yeah. Or am I just happy? Yeah. It says it like that, but it's it's yeah, I love it. It's it's conveying polar opposites of what he's saying lyrically, from right. what he's expressing musically. You just said the first thing that I've ever heard uh, out of Kurt Cobain's mouth that made me actually be like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, you know. The, I guess it, with just like Neil Young, there's a love hate thing there. Yeah, with Kurt Cobain. No, as just well. a hate thing <laughs> for me. With Neil Young? No, with, with Kurt, Kurt Cobain. Cobain. Gotcha. No, he's he's fine. He's just overrated. If he had stayed alive, he would, nobody would think anything yeah. of him. Oh, we're the same yeah. person sometimes. Yeah. But you got to think. I got into him after he was already dead. Me too. But the only reason you even know who he is is because he died. Is what the point I'm making? Possibly. Well, we're talking about Neil Young. We don't have to talk about worst artists like Kurt Cobain okay. anymore. Let me pull it back. Well, did he die back before my... you were born? Uh, I don't know what year he died. What year did he die? Ninety. F- no, he died in like ninety six. No, I was. No, I was like, like, it was like ninety two or so. No. Yeah. No. 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 no yeah, because no. Foo Fighters were formed in like ninety five, ninety four, ninety five. Well, it could have been ninety three or something, but right. I think because. Um, well, could be actually. Now that I think about it, but let's get our research when, assistant on that. What year did Kurt Cobain die? Ninety-four. Okay. Literally the the Split year the I was difference. born. The year I was born, he died. See, I, I was actually alive. I remember it. I was. <laughs> Me too. I was ten. I remember it. I was five. I remember it vividly. <laughs> yes, yes. I it shook my world as a five-year-old, as a young young pup, that Kurt Cobain had had ceased. But, uh, or should we say, been murdered? There were a few d- crappy songs on this album. On the on this album, when I went back and re-listened, I, f- I had forgotten. I'm also going to agree with that. Statement. I had I had forgotten about the song. Uh, There's a world. It's like, and it is, that, like is, a, that, is this the crappy had, one? It has like an orchestra. Yes. In it. Okay. It's very garbage. Yes. Like you have to did not like that song. Yeah. It, and even Neil Young said it was a mistake putting that on that. Oh album. really? Yeah. Oh that's he, funny. He did, he thought it was overdone. 
He tried to. It didn't fit to me. No, it's not. That's what the, everybody says. Well, I was, hope, I was hoping we were going to play a clip from one of the good songs. You want to play a clip from that? No, I was going to say play a clip from Words. The okay, song Words, the bluesy instrumental um, thing with the Crazy Horse Band. They're just okay. amazing. You want to play it right now? Yeah. All right, let's go. So what exactly, if I can ask, what did you, I mean, why did you, why did, why did you pick this one? Why is this like the first thing that came to mind? I think this, uh, it does have a nostalgic value to it. My dad was big into Neil Young. That's fair. And this album uh, was Neil Young's most uh, commercially successful album. And so I heard it the most. See, because I don't, I really, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant on Neil Young. So. Yeah, this is his most commercially successful album, uh, but it's not one that he values. I got like you. artistically, kind of like Born it. in the USA for yeah. Springsteen. He thinks when, he, for instance, the song Alabama, he he says that when he listens to that song now, he just thinks that it's very. I, let me see what it what he actually said. He, I think he said it was it's pompous and it's and it's talk <laughs> that he sounded like a preacher talking down to someone. Yeah. See, but he said he was working through his own issues, and he was wasn't even really talking about but politics. But he used Alabama. That's so much of that era, though. Yeah, I mean yeah. that era was so full of that of that sort of protest, like preachy songs. Mm. Which I mean, I, I like a, a lot of them. You know, I mean, some of them are a little much, but I, I didn't get too much of a preachy vibe off of that. No, but, you know, I mean, I, I mean, it is, but it just. I guess that's what I associate Neil Young with, so I knew that was coming. I mean, I knew he was yeah. gonna. I yeah. kind of put him and Bruce Springsteen together in that way. Cool about it. Per, what? <laughs> one no, of them is, is good; the okay. other one is okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, because and I, the only reason I do take exception to that is yeah. just because I feel like Springsteen blue has, collar. He's more well, of a blue collar. No, no, no. Man. It's not just that; it's that he's always found a way to say. I feel like to get his point across without being preachy. Yeah. And telling you a story instead. Whereas, and honestly, Alabama's a good example where it is kind of preachy, which yeah, I don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind a preachy song. But Springsteen raps his in a story, like Racing in the Street or songs like that, where they're definitely telling you something, or The River. He's making a point, but it's a story. And you're yeah. actually, he's putting you in the shoes of somebody. Whereas Neil Young is more like telling you what you need to know. Yeah, and yeah, that's sort exactly. of what, what Dylan always did. I mean, he, he, was, he had a couple stories that were okay. Yeah, but he almost he almost preaches and yeah. prophesies in his songs the times they're changing. Right, exactly. Like that. Yeah. yeah, but I enjoyed this. I enjoyed yeah. this album. I mean, I think I would like Neil Young, but I don't know that I'm going to keep listening. I'll be honest. Uh, I don't know. Just uh, wasn't my thing. It's just why would I listen to Neil Young when I can just listen to Springsteen? That's a good point. You know, we didn't say our favorite albums. It no, is I'm, a with good, you. I'm with it you. It is. It is a great. I'm not album. criticizing your yeah. choice. Yeah. No. I, I'm trying to think. Of, I don't want to get in the weeds, really. I think that's uh, a shot at me, too. <laughs> you know, sometimes he does jab back, and I guess we just don't realize it's it. It's too subtle. I'm pretty yeah. subtle. He's just subtle. Pass. Yeah. I'm pretty passive. Yeah, he's um, like, I don't want to get in the weeds. I don't really want to, like, read the lyrics <laughs> <laughs> like a complete <laughs> douchebag. 
No, I, I think I think that's it. I, Only I th- a tool would read the lyrics <laughs> line by line while going through. The the song "The Needle in the Damage Done" is very good too. It is. Dealing with his band member that he had just had to let go because of oh. heroin overdose or okay. her- I mean heroin addiction. Eventually died like a few years later. I will say I am going to listen to this album more though. Mm-hmm. I've listened to it one time, you know, just for this, and I I am going to listen to it more. It was good. Yeah, good choice. Anything else you want to I say don't, about it? No, I don't. No, it's a good choice. It's I a, really. It's a good, easy listening album. It is. I, I could. I could listen to it in the background. No problem. I, I liked it. I'll, I'll maybe I'll get into Neil Young a little okay. more if you think I should. But I could just also listen just to more Springsteen. When I when I play Red Dead, I kind of like having a little bit of my my Spotify going at the same. This is. Mm. I could see some Neil Young that while word. I'm riding a horse across. Uh, Especially New when you want to make your wife or armadillo. Especially when you want to make oh, yeah. your wife mad. You should listen to Springsteen's album "Western Stars." Oh yeah, for that. Okay, that would. Be I good. would. I, you know, that is. I just didn't want to be, sound like a poser because you're the one who showed me that <laughs> very recently. No, I, I was hoping that, you were going to choose that oh, album. That, I mean, every song on that album's gold. You love that album, don't you? Yeah, I do. Which is I listen great. to like, it so much. That makes so me much. so happy because you. I think you like that album more than me, which is why. Yeah. You and should, I'm not even really into country or anything like that. It's yeah. just that song. It tells so many great stories. It does. Well, all right. So that's I see New that Young coming up. I Harvest? see that coming up. Okay, we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that on our, our next one. Well, but you also have the national. Oh, yeah. Good, but I'm not going to let you do Nirvana. No. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't, I didn't realize I was going to get that much pushback on Nirvana. <laughs> I, I feel like we almost have, like, I almost feel like now, like the take of Nirvana being overrated is so overdone that we're going to get a pushback. That's to probably that. that's probably mainstream fair. Yeah. for saying that. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, see, it's almost more mainstream to say yeah. Nirvana's. I think for me it was because, uh, and I guess this is kind of kind of be a lead into my album. Uh, I almost picked this one. I almost picked Foo Fighters, The Color and the Shape. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the first album that was sort of uh, music I got to pick. You know, like music yeah. I actually got to seek out and pick. Yeah. And it came out in 97. I was 13 years old. And I, and I didn't even know who Dave Grohl was. Gear Hardest was you just know? a young yeah. pup. <laughs> wee lad. A wee lad. I, I had maybe two or three years after after The Color and Shape was when I kind of knew who he was. What are Nirvana. some of the hits from that album? Um, My Hero, Everlong. Yeah. Uh, Everlong. Oh, when I heard that live, it was one of the best things I've ever heard live. When What's I your that. favorite Foo Fighters album before we get to yours? Uh, There's Nothing Left to Lose. Really? Yeah. See, I think the Foo Fighters kind of suck, except for a few. They have some good songs. They've never had a good album, except for one album. I would say, I would say, I would I would have a lot of pushback on that. Yeah. My favorite album of theirs, and in my opinion, the only good album that they've ever made complete, is Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace. That is a really good one. That's actually, to me, the last one I ever cared about. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Now, uh, the one in 2010 or 11, I can't remember the name of it. It was pretty good, too. It was very, very hard, but... Uh, yeah, that was after... It was pretty heavy. See, I haven't done anything with them in a decade. It was pretty good. It wasn't bad, but that was it for me. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called. Anyway. All well, right, that, so. that's why I never really got... Because... Uh, People talked about Dave Grohl and oh, he's just the former drum. No, he, what he's doing right now with Foo Fighters. When I was a kid, what he's doing right now with Foo Fighters is way better than what he did with Nirvana. Totally, so I always just kind of hated Nirvana because of that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I like Foo Fighters better than Nirvana yeah. as well. My right, brain well, is like <laughs> spazzing out <laughs> on the inside. I really am getting. Are you, a you getting frustrated? triggered a little bit? Well, push back. To, I don't mean. I just don't back. even know how you would compare the Foo Fighters to Nirvana. Oh. Well, we just did it. They were good. Nirvana okay. bad. That's how you I don't compare know, them. I don't. I don't know where to start. 
It's well, okay. pick something and I really start. Don't, I really don't know where to start. That's what people say whenever they know they've lost an argument. Maybe I can't so. Even, I can't. I can't. Even I, can't I can only name like that. Just maybe it's my own exposure to the Foo Fighters that's lacking. Yeah. But like, I can only think of like learning to fly, uh, <laughs> pretenders, learn to fly. and see that, that's not even learn to fly. It's just kind of pretender. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, all these songs I've heard. Yeah, I don't like learn to fly. The okay. pretender's a good okay. song though. It's all right. It's a good song. It's pretty good, but it's nowhere close to Nirvana level. What's your favorite Nirvana song? Oh, uh, smells like Teen Spirit. Plateau. Oh my gosh, I, I knew he would pick one like that. <laughs> well, this is not a podcast about albums we don't like. Let's segue into Bourbon Ghost Choice while we still have people listening. Which is what Bourbon? You tell us. I went with uh, Plans by Death Cab for Cutie, which I was told earlier today was maybe the most millennial album. I did say that, that. I could have picked. I think it is. I really do. I think that's probably the most, like, first of all, Death Cab for Cutie is probably the most millennial band that one could pick. And then Plans is the most millennial album of theirs that one could pick, in my opinion. And I don't even know if it's my favorite. I think we've kind of had yeah, this discussion yeah. before. It, it may be Transatlanticism. It's uh, uh, it's very close. Mine is probably either Transatlanticism or Narrow Stairs. Those are, I like both of those better than Plans, but yeah. we can talk about that as we yeah. go through the album. Uh, for me... Plans is one of those few albums, and I could almost count them on one hand, where there's just not a bad song. There's there's one that comes close to being average to oh, me. That's where we're going to disagree. Okay. There's one that comes close to being average for me. Uh, for the most part, there's I, I don't know if I ever even skip over a single song when I'm going through it, which is one of the re- like I don't have a whole lot of vinyls for that reason. That's one of the first ones I bought whenever I bought a record player was because I knew that was one of the ones that I could listen to all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I can listen to it all the way through. Why don't you go? Why don't you go ahead and pull right, let me pull you? it up. Yep. Um, th- this this album has a lot of a couple pretty famous songs of theirs. Yeah. I would say "Soul Meets Body" and "I Will Follow You Into the Dark" are yeah, two of their most well known. I like songs. those. I'm not yeah. even going to talk about either one of those. Yeah, but I would say I'm just saying those are yeah. two songs that definitely put them. For those sure. were songs I had heard. I think "I Will Follow You Into the Dark" is highly overrated. I just I just don't like that song. I just don't. Yeah, it's it. fine. I mean, I, it's not. I wouldn't even put it in the top five on the album to me. It's kind of like how everybody likes um, that Ben Fold song. That's like a love song. Which one is it? Um, crap, you know what I'm talking. Which about. album? Um, it's uh, Rockin' Suburbs, I think. Um, gosh, everybody. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. It's gonna make me want to edit this out because I can't remember. But it's the one that everybody. Anyway, you go ahead. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm you gonna, think of it. You I'm look gonna, it up. I'm going to look okay. it up or think on it. Um, so this album came out in 05. I was a, I don't know, fourth year junior in college. First year senior, whichever you want to call it. And I liked Wait, it when it came out. Wait, what? Wait, that, none of that made <laughs> sense. What happened? Yeah, I was in college five and a half years. The luckiest. The luckiest. The luckiest yeah. is that Ben Fold song that yeah. I think is highly overrated. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's a sweet song. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah. All right, anyway. Wait, wait, wait. What? So tell me again. You were what? I went to college. I changed majors. This won't shock you with the way my brain works. For like four or five times, I actually changed majors. I changed majors, majors a couple yeah. times. Uh, I, w- I was I in college well. f- four, five and a half years. Everybody that picks non-job-centric like job yeah. Centric ma- yeah. majors ends up switching. By the time I got done, I actually went to my advisor and said, I just want to be done. How can I graduate? Yeah. And he told me, well, you've got social science down, but nobody really has that without the education degree. He said, let me look it up. 
And by the time he got done, he said, nobody's ever graduated from here with just social science. So I don't know what you're going to do with that. <laughs> so I, I coupled it with geography. I had one geography class that I had to pick up. So that was it. I'm the only person to ever graduate from, from mine and Gerhardus's college with that degree. Wow. Yeah. Famous. Yeah, pretty weird. Yeah. So what year was that? They might have expanded that department now. I think they have that. I think they have. Oh, four. Uh, oh, <laughs> ge- December of oh seven. No, I mean the geography department's big. Oh, okay. No, was, no, no, no. Just no, no. When did you never pair. Oh, that came out in oh five. Oh five. You were what in college? A junior. This is your third year in college in oh five. Yeah. Man. Yeah. You're older than more older than me than I thought. Yeah, I graduated high school in oh two. Yeah. Jeez, you are old. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Maybe my, you are my, Gen X. My wife was actually still in high school at this point. Yeah, I was yeah. still in high school. Yeah. See, it's crazy. Still in elementary school, but we both, <laughs> but we both have this album as a common shared yeah. experience. Yeah, that's true. So Your hardest doesn't. No, that's also that's yeah. fair. He is on the fringe though, and you two. Yeah. Well, 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 that's on the that's lost the lost episode. tape. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we went into this whole discussion on the lost episode, but all right, let's get back yeah. on Death Cab for Q. okay. So you're here to four only to be referred to as Death Cab. Death Cab. You, you can't call him anything else. Yeah. It came out in 05, and I loved it then, but it was one of those albums that as it went on, it kind of took on new significance, new meaning for me. Specifically the song, um, What Sarah Said. My dad passed away in 2012, and that song is about somebody dying, about somebody going through the process, the dying process with a loved one. And it was always just sort of a throwaway song. Didn't really, I mean, I never really had anybody I know die. And in, I don't even know, it, it was either in 10 or 11. My dad had had cancer so many times, I can't really actually remember when he was diagnosed this last time. But uh, he actually ended up having three or four different types of cancer over his lifetime. Sounds like and, my grandmother. Yeah, it just. She had like five different types of cancer. Yeah, and it's always something different. Yeah. Always totally unrelated to the other one. Yeah. This last time, he actually had two different types at the same time. They said were unrelated to each other. It was kid, renal, kidney, and uh, wow. pancreatic. Wow. Yeah. So uh, this song, seeing him go through that process of going to the hospital, what sitting in waiting rooms, uh, the 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 sadness of the way the song actually makes you feel, coupled with the depth of the lyrics, the the grittiness of some of the lyrics. It kind of it stuck with me for a long time, and even to this day, like when I when it when it comes on, I can't help but think about like just visits with me and my dad when I would take him to the hospital, um, and it was ninety nine percent of the time it was my mom that was going with him, but occasionally I I would get to go, and I'm actually gonna pull up some lyrics and read them. Yeah, I was um, gonna say because I remember this this song, like you said, has always been a little bit of a throwaway for me. Um, but not a, not a throwaway. That's that's harsh because it, it to me it's one of the highlights of the album. Actually, I'll, yeah, I'll, I would. So I'll I take I that back. This, I thought this song you would probably. Yeah, I thought you would probably pick this. Song. Yeah, yeah, and that was. I mean, but I've I always liked think the about album. that. With I didn't think about your exact situation, but definitely the the line at the end. You know, when he says that love is watching. Yeah. Uh, what does he say? That love is watching someone, someone die. die. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so who's going to watch you die? Who's, yeah. You know, and that's obviously very impactful. I mean, yeah. it's one of the highlights of the album for sure. Well, and the, the, the album name actually comes from this song and, and Ben Gibbard kind of mentioned in an interview at one point. Um, somebody asked him, why did you come up with the name plans? How'd you come up with that? And he said, uh, again, interesting, we talk about a lot of these artists not being Christians, but they talk about God a lot. Mm-hmm. His answer was, 
how do you make God laugh? You make plans. Hmm. Um, and he kind of references that here too. But uh, I'm actually, I actually am going to read the lyrics. Yeah, it is. It but is. good. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. I think that's very in, yeah. in the theme of what we're doing here. It fits perfectly. Gear <laughs> artist. Actually, I'm going to play a little bit first and then I'll read some. starts off and it came to me then that every plan is a tiny prayer to father time as i stared at my shoes in the icu that reeked of piss in 409 and i love i love the grittiness like nobody because mm-hmm. it's it's not just that it smells like urine like you're actually pissed off while you're there you're you're angry and i rationed my breaths as i said to myself that i'd already taken too much today as each descending peak on the lcd took you a little farther away from me Amongst the vending machines and year old magazines in a place where we only say goodbye, it sung like a violent wind that our memories depend on a faulty camera in our minds. And just every one of these is just, oh, it's just poetry. And I knew that you were the truth I would rather lose than to have never lain beside at all. And I look around at all the eyes on the ground as the TV entertained itself because there's no comfort in the waiting room, just nervous paces bracing for bad news. And then the nurse comes round and everyone lifts their heads. But I'm thinking of what Sarah said, that love is watching someone die. So who's going to watch you die? And then he repeats that. Yep. And it's good. It, it takes on a new meaning when you actually go through the dying process with somebody really, really close to you. And that's sort of why several of these songs kind of pop up for me, but this one specifically, uh, it's it's definitely not my favorite album, but there are songs like this. And we talk about being younger when, when some of these songs are more meaningful because you kind of have more of these experiences. This is actually one of those few songs that if you heard this for the first time when you're 45 and you're going through death with a loved one, it's still going to kind of impact you. Because most, most of the time when it's a song that impacts you, it's like a love song of some sort. Or just some sort of right. very dark, painful song. Like we sort. talked about, like, uh, I'll yeah. Fall You Into The Dark yeah. or The Luckiest. That's what people attach to. Yeah. it's it's So it's kind of kind of odd for an indie rock group in the mid-2000s to come out with a song about somebody dying. What year was this album? 05. My dad passed away in 12. So it po- this, this album kind of la- stayed with me for a long time because of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, this album was... I mean, this album, honestly... I think probably every single person who was into the indie music of the 2000 to 2010 range listened to this album. Yeah. You know, this album, you cannot deny, whether you think it's a good album or not, you cannot deny the impact that it had on the industry. Yeah. It was huge. And then, and the impact that death. I wasn't exposed to them much. So that would be considered indie. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But now 
they're mainstream. They're like mainstream indie now, but they were like the indie band. I would yeah. say, wouldn't you? I, I, had, they were oh, like, yeah. I had heard his voice before, and I'm, I mean, this. I, I like the lyrical content, so there's no disrespect. You probably just, are a little too young for death. I Band. can't get into his voice. In my opinion, he has like a post-punk, like or po- really poppy post-punk type sound. I don't really like his voice that much either. I mean, it's fine. It's, I don't but really, it sounds the same on on a lot of the songs. Yeah, I don't think he has like, much uh, range. range. And actually, yeah. probably my favorite thing Ben Gibbard's ever done is Postal Service. Album, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I could disagree with that. Yeah, I, I love that album so much. I think it's actually his best writing. But what I was gonna, what I was saying was, is that, you know, like I said, whether you whether you like Death Cab or like this album or whatever, Death Cab had a huge impact on the music industry, and this album specifically was probably their the biggest yeah. one that had. The- and, and I think one of the reasons that they kind of got they were able to get so famous so quickly was because they came around at the right time for for illegally downloading music. Yep. And everybody with a MySpace who had a halfway decent band got way more exposure than you would have 10 yep. years before. Yeah. And they kind of popped up. The, the I, I want to say I listened to another podcast that you introduced me to. I can't think of it. Radio Gaga yeah, podcast. Yeah. Very good. You should definitely listen to that podcast. Uh, if you haven't, it's my by far my favorite music podcast. She's great. Justine uh, Pajowski is her name, and she's fantastic. Yeah, and she has a very broad... Uh, musical palette that she dives into on that podcast. Yep. One of the episodes, one of the episodes was actually about transatlanticism, and she, uh, which is probably my favorite Death Cab yeah, album. It's, uh, I, I mean, we could do it on that too. But. Uh, but she talks about how um, she talks sort of about their rise and about how unexpected it was with transatlanticism. So, uh, just a big part of that was the time. Yeah, the time I period. highly recommend that podcast episode. It's yeah. really good. I think she really touched on a lot of things that we, you and I agree on on our thoughts on Death Cab. It's like. I'm not saying that like I just think Death Cab is the greatest band or whatever, but there's just something about when they came along, yeah, and the time and people our age yeah. life that yeah. it's it was very, yeah, impactful. Yeah, know? and there's a lot of bands from back then that I, I don't even know if I've listened to the last two Death Cab albums. Right, right. Like I'm not some diehard Death Cab fan. Right, right. I loved them at the time. Yeah, exactly. It was a. It was just a huge. There was just a lot of things changing. I mean, yeah. at the same time that you, you know, you as an individual were changing, probably is the whole music industry was changing. Yeah. The way we were consuming music was changing, and the way that music was was being produced was changing. The way it was getting put out to us was changing, and indie rock and Death Cab were a huge part of that. I mean, the the decade of two thousand and twenty ten. Fantastic. So much good music was produced. Fantastic for music. Way yeah. better than 2010 to 2020. Way better. I mean, it's not even close in my opinion because that decade, the most recent decade we just went through, saw the death of indie music yeah. in my opinion. And actually looking back, now that we've talked about that timeline, now I know why Neon Bible kind of flew under my radar. I graduated January of, of 2007. It came out in 07. It came out in the fall, I think, okay. too, of 07. Yeah. Like later, like maybe September or something. I was working at like a pizza a pizza restaurant. I mean, I was just kind of trying to figure out what I'm doing with my <laughs> right. life at that point. Because I was a freshman in college, and I, I either, I either, I know I got exposed to it my my first semester in the fall of 07, but I might have just gotten it. Yeah. It may have come out early, but I actually, I think it came out in the fall of 07, yeah. but I'm not sure. Or the summer, but. Well, uh, I would say second song that I feel like is a, a really good representation of this album is uh, Someday You Will Be Loved. I think his voice, while not fantastic, obviously, and I need to, a guy who recommended a Neil Young album. I know, I mean, I, I was going to, I mean, I said that. <laughs> I said, I, oh, I, I said, I said that. 
I know. It's I totally still have to subjective. say it too, It's totally subjective. Uh, you need to punch back. <laughs> Quit backing down. I mean, I, there's nothing to say in response to that. It's totally subjective. I have no way to... It's, it's not, not a value judgment, really. It is a value judgment. The, the fact that Neil Young doesn't sing... He doesn't... I mean, he doesn't sing with any kind of... Uh, uh, what's the what's the word? Like a... I don't know. It's your sentence. According to according to the norms that the music yeah. industry has established. Yeah. No, I think Ben I, Gibbard has. I think Ben Gibbard has a. I think his voice is fine. That's never been my thing. It's just that it's very. It's very high pitched. One dimensional. Yeah, it is so very like, one dimensional. That's what. Yeah. That's what. And I think that's why I liked them early, and like the postal service, yeah. liked everything he did. But then you just kind of get yeah tired of it. There's yeah. not much. And I would actually recommend too on the side of this during the the lockdown he would do these things called like uh, home concerts on YouTube and he would do them almost every day and he would go down and uh, break down almost every single song they wrote and really in depth what they meant to him uh, and it was actually very interesting he talked about he they've gotten to the point as a band where he kind of knows they're not really going to be as famous as they once were they're not going to write the songs that are as meaningful to people as they used to be. And, you know, a lot of lot, that eats at a lot of people hmm. over their careers. And he kind of said, you know, I got to be part of a band that was that. Yeah. That's so I don't really have an issue with with people wanting to hear the old stuff. So that was kind of cool because most him. people kind of oh, yeah. get irritated by that. They want to be known more than just that. So I would For go sure. watch those. Those are pretty good. Uh, but anyway, the second song, Someday You Will Be Loved. I think his voice actually works in his favor on this one because this song is about uh, I agree. Sort of how terribly you treat girls and women the older you get, like in college age, like you're just a young punk, you're a young kid. And if they're, I kind of want to play this song for my daughters one day so they understand just how terrible boys are. somebody who sounds like Ben Gibbard is this terrible to women, <laughs> you know, like if somebody with his terrible voice and like, he just sounds like some emo kid. If even he is, I was going gonna to say, to I was going to say, uh, yeah, I probably have a different take on this. Okay. I was, I was actually going to say that he, that I got, I got a real big emo vibe. I didn't, I didn't listen to death cab very much. If I had, it was oh, like they're, on, they're, yeah. on alt nation or something, maybe mm-hmm. in the back, but I found it to be like, emo. I thought it was emo music. I didn't know. It was. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, this, yeah, I would say that like a lot Hawthorne of Hawthorne Heights kind of in that Like vein. Dashboard. Dashboard Confession. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was definitely, they were in the same vein, okay. I would say, back then. I mean, yeah. sort of like the happy sounding, but sad lyrics. Like, yeah. that's, that's what indie music is. Not as not as whiny as like a Dashboard. No, no, yeah. no, not as whiny. Not as whiny. Yeah, what were you going to say? What was your take on this? Well, <sighs> I get it. I get it. I get that there are a bunch of horrible dudes out there but it's just very i always felt like when i listened to this song and when i was listening to it uh yesterday again to kind of you know refresh myself even though i listened to this album probably a thousand times but i sort of have the same take as you but maybe on the other side of it which is just that it's like it's not that 
edgy of a take to say to a girl, hey, dudes are awful. You it's know, kind of the male feminist thing. Yeah, it's like, hey, man, dudes are awful, but you know, somebody's gonna love you one day, girl. Which is, I mean, I get it. It's prob- I guess it's true, but it's also like, you know, not all dudes are that bad. Like, just don't be around bad dudes. I don't know what to say. I, I guess I would say I was around a lot of good dudes. I felt, I felt like I, I felt like, like Ben Gibbard in this song. I mean, I was a bad guy. I was a bad kid, but I wasn't like that bad. I wasn't like that. What were women. you saying, Bourbon? I was you gonna. Were like, yeah, I, I actually I think that's one of the reasons I. Oh, I, you were the bad dude. Well, I wouldn't say bad, <laughs> but I would say. <laughs> <He> was, <laughs> uh, okay, well, we'll go a little bio here. Uh, sure. In, in in high school, I was always sort of just more of a wallflower, and the last year of my I guess junior college days, I met a girl. Maybe actually last, yeah, I guess it was last year. Met a girl. We did it for two and a half years. Only girlfriend I'd ever had up to that point. I was 21 when we broke up, and so by 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 that age, I'd only had one girlfriend ever, and like everybody else that I knew, was just burning through girls. And so my last couple years of college, it was just like this sort of moment where I had attention for the first time in my life. I sort of felt like I had attention. And I'm sorry that your very personal story got interrupted by. <laughs> sorry, my my vape cool was <laughs> making a your heart making is a loud sound. taking a pull on his vape. <laughs> that means I was listening deeply. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. That's fair. And uh, I kind of, I can't totally. get back to that moment now. Yeah. Anyway, I I was never just like an outright jerk to anybody, but it was just I I didn't have an issue playing with hearts because uh, I'd never had any of that attention, and so it was just sort right, of easy right. to be loose with it. It was sort of easy to be uh, didn't really care about people's feelings, you know. Yeah. And so. I sort of understand. I, I, I think I sort of identify with this song more because well, of that. Well, I definitely get that. And I'm not saying that, that dudes aren't bad. I'm just saying that, like, I think it goes both ways. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah, for and sure. these things never, you will never hear a song written on the other side. About That's like, true. Hey, dudes, yeah. watch your heart because girls will really play with yeah. you. It's like, well, we all do. Like, we're all kind of bad at some point yeah. in time. And that, that's my only point is it's a, yeah. I felt like it was a very, especially at the time, it was a very, easy and convenient emo song to write that's going to get a lot of praise because it's, you know, yeah. it's bashing on men, and, but whatever. I don't, I don't even don't feel like it's it. really bashing. I feel like he's just being, I think he's being pretty honest with, with who he is. Yeah, well, maybe it is with who he is. I can't help it if he's a jerk, but, you know, maybe he should just keep that to himself. I mean, he... Worry about himself. He he and Zoe didn't have a very good... Nah, that's ending. true. You know, that is one of the things about Death Cab. They were so good. The only time they're good is when they're sad. Yeah. And then he got happy. Yeah. And they started to stink. Yeah. Um, and I kind of thought, oh, they're getting they're getting breaking up. They're getting divorced. They may have a good album again. Right. But, yeah, it's just okay. Yeah. If you've listened this far, you're a very special person. <laughs> that is true. We really appreciate it. Yeah. We really appreciate yeah. it. So... Um. Let me see. A third one would be kind of hard. You don't have to do a third one. Yeah, I mean, to. I guess I would say the one song I that I would like almost always... five minutes, so that's yeah, me. The one song I'll almost always skip is probably uh, Crooked Teeth. It's just okay. Yeah, it's... Here's the thing with Death Cab, though, is that... that uh, to me, I don't think any of their writing is that fantastic. It's okay. They have some highlights here there, but it's just, it's just very mediocre writing, songwriting, but they're... Actually, that's one of his strong points. Yeah, see, that's where I disagree. Because I think that he writes really good. I think he writes uh, the the kinds of songs that a lot of people can write. 
Well, I think I think that's fair. Overtly sad. But I think the way he the way he uses imagery is pretty can be kind of rare. Like I never like even just some of the songs like Brothers on a Hotel Bed. I never actually picture like that's a pretty good image of what a fractured relationship between a husband and a wife would look yeah. like. Yeah. I just never think about that. Yeah, he I mean he definitely has his moments. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean he he Ben Gibbard has his moment. Like I said, I think uh Such Great Heights or is that or just the Postal Service yeah. album. I can't I don't guess it's called that, but um, the Postal Service album has some of those highlights, but yeah. they I have think, the Postal Service song uh, "Silhouettes" that they wrote that yeah. the Shins did not write uh, is For actually sure. a very, very good song. Yeah, screw the Shins. I can't say that more than I am already saying it. I can't only overemphasize. No, only no simple song. Yeah, well, no, that's that's probably one of their best songs, honestly, and it's pretty terrible. So that tells you, yeah, it's on everything. High. You want to talk about a band that can't write the Shins? No feeling, no emotion, nothing. Just straight pop indie garbage. All they did was come along and decide they wanted to capitalize on the indie rock craze. And so they wrote the most soulless, heartless indie music that you could possibly was make. Was it that album? Is that and the, I'm not even with joking. With the mountain on it? I don't even know. They're all the same. I'm not even joking. That's how I feel about the Shins. We, we have a guest in studio, OP Sleeper, and he is a big Shins fan. Yeah, but I'm not anybody. even joking, though. Oh, I know. I'm not even saying that just because he's here. That is genuinely my opinion of the Shins. This is reminding me of the moment whenever... Uh, but it does make it better because he's here. Whenever Jim, whenever Jim's talking about uh, Battlestar Galactica or whatever, and Dwight can't say anything in response, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's it's very similar. Yeah. But so with Death Cab, like I said, they're I think that they have a lot of like really catchy guitar hooks and drum like parts. Like that's one of my favorite things. Is you know I, I dabble in the drums, and so they have some great like hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I, they have some great songs, but they that you know they're just they're just okay for me, you know, but that's just me. I mean, I've just never, they've never hugely resonated with me in, in a large, large way, but that's just me. I would say they have a few this songs in transatlanticism do, and even a couple on the photo album. Uh, but I mean, I, I can't disagree with the whole picture. I would yeah. say, um, what's the one on the photo album where he's, it's basically a song to his, I don't think it was actually Ben's father, but it's, I think it's the first song yeah. and he's just singing and he's just getting more and more angry about how his dad's left. And that's, that's, that's another good example of how the vocals in a song can make it because yeah. he just gets so angry about his father by the but time e- it's over. But even that, like it's a very millennial thing to be mad at your father. <laughs> but even that, like this is where I would say is like, it's, it's hard for me to describe, but like with death cab and there are other bands that are like this or other writers, their songs are very straightforward and it's not that they're not good. They are, but they're very straightforward. Whereas you take a song like what we just went over with Antichrist Television Blues. Well, I mean, I could tell you about all of the problems with a father abusing a daughter's popularity. But what that song does is it takes you through the father's mindset and it shows you how evil he is as he works out his own thought process. So it's telling you a story that is showing you how evil he is as opposed to just telling you how evil he is, which is the other way to do it, but it's just not as not as good to me, yeah. but it's fine. I, I would, I would that, that's a fair criticism. The, 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 the songs aren't necessarily hard to decipher. I feel like he is one of the better songwriters that I've ever, that I've come across as far as just straight imagery. Like he makes me picture things in a different way. He's kind of, ro- like yeah. philosophically, it seems like kind of a romantic, isn't he? Lyrically. Like he's, I don't know. I guess what I mean by that is it's very straightforward, but he uses a lot of overly dramatic imagery. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Okay. And by that definition, then, yes. 
I guess that's what romantic means. I don't know. I don't yeah, know I, I, I would agree. Him. I mean, I, I'm not saying, and again, I, this probably sound, I'm sounding overly harsh. I don't mean that I don't like him. I'm just saying that um, I basically, I just think he's okay, but he's just straightforward and, you know. I prefer people, I don't know if I've said Springsteen a lot, but like, you know, Springsteen doesn't have to tell me about his exact life. He can tell me about somebody else's life. And usually, and that's what I like about a good songwriter is that they can tell you something and about And it can be about basic, and he uses basic, yeah. ordinary language and stories to tell it. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I mean, but I do like this album, and I like Death Cab. You know, it's just different, different stuff that I like. So I'll definitely continue to dabble to see if, it can become something that I can appreciate. Yeah, it's it's good to listen to. I mean, yeah. I like listening to it in the car, and you know, I've got a vinyl, and so. Um, but all right, the music episode. This was it. I liked it. I loved it personally. I don't know if anybody's still listening. We appreciate if you have listened at all. We really do. We hope you reach out to us on Twitter, or yeah, that's it. That's all. We, that's the only place we are. Yeah, if we're if we're gonna do like a, a song or something of the week, in, in place yeah. of that, tell us what you want yeah. to hear. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Will, we'll break it down. We absolutely will. It'll be fun. It'll be really fun. You can get maybe we'll get more heated next time, but I didn't want to step on anybody's toes too much. But well, we sh- we should intentionally next time come up with a song that we know at least one of us just does not like. Maybe mm-hmm. a Nirvana song. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Fine. You guys do what you want. All right. You guys got anything else before we sign off? I don't think so. It's been pretty uneventful in the denomination after the report because everybody else just settled. Well, it has. So everybody else is just happy. But I did just see today, as a matter of fact, uh, we maybe we should have covered this in the intro, that the a collection of uh, PCA administrative, pres- administrative committee presidents and seminary people issued an apology for their racial bias. Oh, is that, is that going to be their like... systemic racism. Was that something that they were proposing to the General Assembly for the General no. Assembly to do? Because I thought we already did that a couple of years ago. We did. Oh, so we have to repent yearly now. Of course. You have to repent for sins that you did not commit because you're a heretic. You're a racist. Racism is the original sin of the left. It is. Shout out. I don't know. I guess Michael Malice, but that's where I heard that first, but I don't know if he came up with I that or if that was Mitch Smolbug. But anyway, so I enjoyed it, fellas. Good yeah. talking to you. It's been good. Good to see everybody. I'm glad that we're doing this for a second week in a row. We got to get back on the horse. Keep doing this. So, when do you leave for your trip? When do you leave? Uh, I think 12 days. We got one more with you at least. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we can squeeze two of them in. All right. All right. Well, would it it be possible to go out to the the harp singing? I think we could do that. We can shout out Odd Deacon. Yeah. Shout out Odd Deacon. We'll outro to the harp singing, starting now.